soul, of course, in passion to Christ, giving himself as a substitutionary sacrifice for us. We've read Psalm 22 for our responsive reading, and there's a picture of the anguish and the passion of Christ, not only in his body, but in his soul, uh, as he's mocked and shamed at his death. In the Psalm, Isaiah 53 gives us a picture of God's involvement, God's plan, in verses like verse 4 of Psalm, a big part of Isaiah 53, he was smitten by God. So it's not just evil people committing a criminal act and putting Jesus on the cross, but this was all God's plan that Jesus would be the perfect sacrifice in behalf of God's people to Jesus would bear the penalty for our sins. Out of the anguish of his soul, and Jesus in Luke 12, I'm going to be focusing my whole message on Luke 12, right at the end of that chapter, verses 49 to 53, gives a hint of the anguish of his soul in this passage. And he knows why he's come, why he has come into the world. He knows where he's come from, and he knows what his mission is. I read for you Luke chapter 12, verse 49 and following. Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. Here's the anguish of his soul in the next verse. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. He's talking about the cross at that point. 51. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you rather, division. For from now on, in one house will be five divided, three against two, two against three. They will be divided. Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter-in-law against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And it's not a it's not a peaceful picture. This is the, the broader, bigger picture of why Jesus came into the world. He shares it right right here. When I send out an end-of-the-year letter to my friends and family. It's during the Christmas season, and I'll always put a Bible verse at the top of my year-end letter. And one of my favorite verses is from 1 Timothy 3.15. This is a faithful saying that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And that retells why was Jesus born Bethlehem? He came into the world, and he came into the world to save sinners. And the rest of that verse is, of whom I am chief. When we're talking about chief of sinners, it's right there in 1 Timothy 3.15. Paul says, I should have never known the grace of God in my life, as bad as I was. But God gave me an object of His grace to show that nothing is beyond the reach or the hand of God. There are other holiday cards at the end of the year that splash this headline across the front of the Christmas card. that says, Peace on Earth. And of course, that is the message of Christmas, that uh, Jesus came into the world to bring peace among men. And yet, well, we haven't really seen that through the centuries since the days Jesus walked the earth. So here's this morning that Jesus gives in Luke 12, and uh, especially verse 51. Do you think that I came to give peace on the earth? And he answers his own question. 
there's no peace on, on the earth. No universal peace. And yet there is peace. He came to bring peace uh, among men of goodwill, among men with whom the Lord is well pleased. That's Luke chapter 2. And so there is peace for the followers of Jesus. And uh, even if, if there's trouble, if there's persecution for religious faith, there's still peace right here for the disciples of Christ. And yet, you know that there's no peace, no universal peace in the world until people are reconciled with God. And that's really the mission of Jesus, is to get right with God, reconcile with God. And how can you be reconciled with your neighbor or with the, the country next door if you're not reconciled with God? So we, if we return to God, then reconciliation begins through the church, through salt and light, and that's how peace begins to spread. And in a kind of a secret way, kind of like the mustard seeds, growing and spreading out. In this message, I just want to give you from this passage what Jesus says about his ultimate mission. And the ultimate mission is to, to bring fire and to bring division. That's, that's the heart of what he's saying here. And then the method that he uses, at least in his first coming, there's, there's a method. And that method is what saves you and I from the final judgment of God at the last day. That our sins have been judged in Jesus upon the cross. And God, according to Isaiah 53, God was satisfied with that. And our sins were laid upon Christ. And then finally, what's the message that, that we take, uh, knowing that who this Jesus is and what he's done for us? So we'll look at the mission, the method of his first coming, and then the message that we carry beyond that. So Jesus knows in these verses, he didn't say, I, I came to bring universal peace and universal prosperity. But the key words, no, that's not it. The key words are fire and vision. And Simeon met the mother of Jesus, right at the birth of Jesus. And Simeon told Mary, this child, this is the child we've been waiting for. But this child is going to be a stone, a stone of stumbling for, for many. Some people, they're, they're going to trip on the stone called Jesus. But for others, Jesus will become the cornerstone of our, our lives. We build upon him, we anchor in that, that stone called Jesus. And that's, that's the message from the very beginning. That uh, there is a division. We saw that about the first 52, the three against two, or two against in one household. And Jesus does that because Jesus is the only truth. He's the only way. And when we, when we preach the grace of God through Jesus Christ, people don't think they're that, that bad, but they need grace or they need forgiveness. Jesus speaks life to you and to me. In another verse in John 10, verse 10, here's Jesus talks about why he came. He says, John 10, verse 10, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And of course, he's speaking to his followers. Uh, and we really know what life is all about now because Jesus has come, given us his life, and taught us the way of life. But the broader message of the broader mission here in Luke 12 is this one of, I've, I've come to bring fire. And Jesus says, 
I'd like to see that fire start be kindled, start burning right now. I'd like to see some smoke going up. And yet, that's not in God's divine plan. But the heat begins when Jesus stretches out his arms upon the cross. And that's when the divine judgment of God falls upon Jesus, who puts himself between us and the divine justice of the Father so that we don't feel the, the heat and the fire of God's wrath at uh, this first coming of Jesus who delivers us from our guilt and from our sins. But uh, this fire he's talking about seems to be that he's talking about the final judgment upon a hateful world. And then in verse 51, it's he's come to bring division. Not just fire, but division. And that's everything leading up to the last final judgment of the world when Jesus comes back. So, there's no kumbaya kind of unity uh, that, that we can know. But Jesus says, not a kumbaya unity that you know, it's kind of a surface level. But it's really, when he puts his love upon us, that separates us to Christ and separates us from the, the love of the world and from the, from the debauchery of the world. And we've been rescued from that. John the Baptist had, in the very first year of Jesus' ministry, Jesus ministered upon the earth for almost three years. John the Baptist said, here's what Jesus, who he is, and why he's come. Again, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, 16 and 17. John the Baptist says, you're coming out to me. He says, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so we, we get the, the image of fire upon us uh, through the coming of the Spirit at, at Pentecost. And there's that combination of God doing a, a, new, a new work and picture of fire purging, purging out our old sinful nature as we move through this life and move closer and closer to glory. But then listen to verse 17 of Luke 3. John Baptist talks about Jesus and says, Jesus has a winnowing fork for throwing the grain up in the air to separate the, the chaff from the wheat. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And we know that's going to happen. It hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen when Jesus comes back a second time and comes back in judgment to bring fire to the world in the last day. Sounds quite a bit like uh, Psalm 1, the closing verses of Psalm 1. And I want to bring this up to say that this picture of judgment and God, uh, God's divine judgment, God coming down is through the entire Bible that seems like humanity have, they have their day, but then the Old Testament talks about the day of the Lord. Here's the closing verses of Psalm 1. The wicked are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, but the way of the wicked will perish. There is a day of judgment coming. And the wicked we brought before the bar of God's justice. What can they say? Um, I wasn't that bad. I thought I was pretty good. Uh, 
And Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And the goats will go away from his presence. And so, the first coming of Christ sets the stage for the second coming of Christ for this final judgment that Jesus is anticipating here. And why is he even talking about the, his final judgment upon uh, the wicked? It's because very soon he will feel divine justice in his own body as he puts his life between us and divine justice to save us, to save his people from the judgment of God. And so you see this separation. He's talking about separation within one household. And so separation. some are called to Jesus and some are, are left behind because they don't want to come to Jesus. There's going to be a permanent condition sheep and goats. Let me move on to the second element here of the method of Jesus' mission here. He's got judgment in mind. He knows that he's going to be the one who's judged here when he goes to the cross. And he's anxious for it. He says in verse 50 of Luke 12, I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it's accomplished. We think of you know, our ceremony of baptism, it's something we, we look forward to. We say, here's the mercy of God being represented, and it's a picture of life-giving water. And yet, this uh, baptism that Jesus talks about is nothing like that. The coming baptism. Everyone agrees, all the Bible students agree, that this is a picture of the passion of Christ at the Cross. But how is the cross of Jesus a baptism? And it's not, it's not that he's, he's telling the world, oh, I'm going to be a martyr for my cause. No, it's, it's not that at all. It's not that he's going to have an untimely death. I'm just picking up a That's not it at all. He has a view, an ordeal that he's been called to. And he's been, he's been, you read the Gospel of John, it says, I've come to do my Father's will, and this is part of the Father's will, as Isaiah 53 says, to put the Son, put the Messiah to grief. And so it's an overwhelming trial. That's what this baptism is. It's a, it's a trial, it's a test, and can Jesus follow through to the point of death? And not just the point of death, but to the point of of rejection and desertion by his heavenly Father as he bears the sins of the world. So it's an overwhelming trial. You think of there's a similar idea in 1 Corinthians verse 10, chapter 10, verses 2 and 3. And it talks about Israel was baptized into Moses and into the cloud. And when did that happen? Who's reading this 10, verse 2 and 3? They're fleeing out of Egypt. Here's Israel's getting out. They're not, they're not in, uh, into the wilderness uh, hardly very far when the Egyptian army comes chasing them. And how were they baptized into the cloud? The, the cloud was the presence of the divine presence of God, putting a wall of separation between this Egyptian army and 
Here the Israelites are up there with the little ones, and they can hear the horses clattering, the chariots clattering, the horses snorting, and soldiers shouting. And it's that cloud that was a wall to protect them. And it, what's going to happen? Can you trust God in a moment like that when you hear somebody breathing slaughter on the other side of the clouds? That's the only thing keeping you safe. But if it's God keeping you safe, you say, no problem. God has this. We're in His hands. How were they baptized into Moses? And baptized into the, into the sea? Uh, imagine walking through the Red Sea with walls of water above your head here. Nobody knows how to swim. All the water on this side. And that was, that was their trial. Um, Moses, God says, Moses, leave them. And Moses says, God says, let's go. This is our way of escape. And they passed the trial. Even though the waters were, could have been overwhelming, and they, they, they obeyed. Well, this is what Jesus is doing. In our behalf, that, uh, he's facing, not only death, but he's facing the curse of um, Humanity's sin as he goes to the cross. And Jesus would face that cross alone. And he says in verse 51 here that, uh, part, verse 50, that he's anxious for it. He says, How great is my distress until it's accomplished. That sounds like that verse in Isaiah 53 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, uh, he's going to move beyond that anguish and then see the success that he obeyed the Father. And um, he'll see the... Uh, he'll see, see him be satisfied. A wonderful picture. And but doesn't this kind of really show that Jesus was, was human? He's anguish of heart. And when he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays. He's respiring. And he's hemorrhaging. Firing drops of blood. You know he's fully human. And he had to be human to be able to die. God's perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And then uh, one other element here in verse 50, that last word of verse 50 says, I'll break his mightiest press until it is accomplished. This part of his mission, something has to be accomplished. And it's the same, same kind of Greek word as when Jesus goes to the cross. Remember the last words of Jesus from the cross? Uh, it is finished. Father, in your hands I pass here. It is finished. Same, same idea here. He had a mission. It's got to be accomplished. He dies on the cross. Uh, everything God called me to do is done. It's finished. So a beautiful picture and the wonder is that Jesus would want to face that trial for you and me. The wonder of it is that Jesus was willing and ready, and that he wanted to, not just willing, but he wanted to die for people like you and me. To save us from hell, to save us from divine wrath, and to save you from hearing the final divine words that the damned will hear. Depart from me, I never knew you. And so, we know what the cross is for. And 
is to spare us from God's <coughs> the final day of judgment. But that, that's, God will have his day. That will be the day of the Lord when uh, God has his say after centuries and eons of people having their life. And then I move to the third and last uh, element of what Jesus is talking about. There's a message here. The message is fiery judgment. Fiery judgment is coming. And in a way, that's good. Where is the justice in the world? Uh, why does crime pay? How come the wicked get away with, with uh, so much crime and iniquity? But... Um, God will have his day. The day of the Lord is coming. And so the final judgment is coming, and we, we live in view of that final judgment. And that's why Jesus told people, go and sin no more. There's a judgment coming is behind that. Of course, he's calling us to holiness, to, to reflect who he is. But also he's saying, you know, if you keep on sinning, you will answer it. Judgment. Go and sin no more. Final judgment is why Jesus warned people in Luke 13, unless you repent, you all likewise shall perish. It's kind of like the wicked are like the chaff, and they will perish on the last day. It's why Jesus, the coming judgment is why Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit in John 16, verse 8 through 11. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin. Say, you're a sinner. There's no hope for you unless you pursue the righteous and holy Jesus. The Holy Spirit is going to convict the world of what true righteousness is. But you think you're righteous? Now, you can never measure up to God's righteousness. And the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world of judgment. Judgment to come. And there's a warning there that we think the Holy Spirit's here comes the, the dove, and how God portrays himself coming down, and yet so much more. The convicting word of the Spirit of God is convicting, saying, What are you going to say about that when you stand at the judgment seat of Christ? So we lose track of the judgment seat of Christ on the final day. And we, we live as if uh, uh, Jesus will. Wink uh, an eye, and he won't, he won't hold you. Yes, he will hold you accountable. And so there's a coming judgment day. And Malachi 3 says, Who can stand in the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? There's a fiery judgment coming. But the other half of the message is a very positive message. It's a message we call a gospel. And the gospel is God's grace, and God's grace gives us hope. And because of the cross, because Jesus was baptized with, with this ordeal of the cross, we have great hope because Jesus loves me and died for me. And if he died for me, and we're united to him in his death, then he will raise us up at the last day. And even as he was raised up, Jesus will raise me up at his coming. Jesus can raise up John Williams when Jesus comes back. Raise up the body of John. John Williams is in the presence of the Lord. It's going to raise up the body of John Williams and anyone else who's um, taken in death, through death, into heaven before the return of Christ.
So, are you, are you afraid of dying? Christians should not be afraid of dying. Because absent from the body is present with the Lord. I'm not afraid of dying um, anymore, but as far as I can tell, looking at my own heart. And because of the gospel of God's grace, I'm not afraid of living either. I'm not afraid of dying, I'm not afraid of living. Because my guilt and my shame has been nailed to the cross. Because Jesus is my satisfactory substitution for God's justice. I'm not afraid of living. I'm not, not afraid of people. That's part of living. It's working with people, meeting strangers, um, meeting important people. Not afraid of people because we recognize that, um, well, we're, we're all sinners and we all answer to God, but what, am I afraid? what I'm afraid of is the final, the final, like the apostle says, knowing therefore the fear of God, or some translation, the terror of God, terror of God, that there's going to be a final judgment, we persuade men. And so, it's the reverence of God, that we reverence and fear God more than anything else, and we don't, we're not afraid of people. But we live for Christ, and live in Christ, and speak His words. And so, we're not afraid of people, because... God's love for me and my love for God enables me to, to love other people. God's love for me enables me to meet strangers, love strangers, care for them. And uh, that's a life-changing thing that God would give His only begotten Son because He loved us. He loved the world that He would do that. And so there's hope that comes out of this message. There's peace, second of all, there's peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Wait a minute. Didn't Luke 12, 51 say, you think that I come on the earth to give peace on the earth? And of course, that's the context. On the earth. So, within our hearts, within our churches, He came to bring peace. But no universal peace in the broken world of sinners. But how about for the Christian? All in silence. Midnight in the Philippian jail. They're, they're just singing songs, and uh, you know, nobody else sings in jail unless they're not sober. But here are these sober Christians singing, and, and they, they have their backs whipped when they were put into, into the jail. Saying, no fear. God's got this in control. God's got us here, here in jail for a reason. So we commit ourselves to the faithful hands of our Creator. So, only the Christian can sing and have peace and have uh, joy in the Holy Spirit. We love that verse in Philippians 4 7. Philippians 4 6 says, We pray, we're concerned, we're anxious, we cast our cares, that our cares upon the Lord, bring our supplications. But verse 7 says that, uh, it, um, that the surpassing Peace of God that passes all understanding guards our hearts and minds where? In Christ Jesus. Hearts and minds are settled with Christ Jesus, and then that's where the peace comes from. And it's a surpassing peace that the world cannot, will not come. So 
until they find, find Jesus. Something not, not really uh, in the text here, but one, one last key element I just want to touch on as far as the message, the message of God's grace, it's life changing, it gives peace and joy. Another key element is Jesus calls us to take up our cross. He's facing the cross here with this baptism that he's anxious to uh, move into and have success in. He says, the disciples not above the master, you're going to take up your cross also. And uh, many of us Christians, we say, do I have to carry a cross for Jesus? Yes. Can I get one of those models where, you know, I've seen, seen videos of guys that are dragging across down the highways. That's a, it's a heavy, you know, 8x8 eight eight kind of cross. I'm talking about lumber here, 8x8 eight eight inches. But they've got a wheel on the bottom of the cross. It makes it easier to drag through life. Can I get a model like that? No. You can't. Can you think of the love of, of Jesus for you to take up his cross for you, and he calls us to take up our cross. The reason is because Jesus faced a horrific ordeal of the cross. It was a trial that he welcomed, but it was a trial that he did not have to bear. Jesus didn't have to go to the cross for any other reason than you were saved. He knows God, Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus could have said, um, I'm not going to do this. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Not my will, but my will be done. And so, Jesus wore a cross. And how big are our crosses? Our crosses aren't that big compared to his. Another reason that we bear a cross for Jesus is that when we are baptized, and he talks about baptism here with this trial, when we are baptized, we are baptized into Jesus in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And baptism publicly unites us to Christ. And how will, how will people know that we're a real Christian if we're not bearing crosses for Jesus? So it's one thing to wear a cross on your necklace, but it's better to say, I'm not going to run from this cross. I'm going to face it. I'm going to pass the ordeal for Jesus' sake. When you come to the Lord's Supper, this is the blood of a new covenant. Uh, take heed, this is my body. We identify with Jesus. We, and we want the benefits of his life. And so also, um, that's what calls us to cross-bearing. So we are so closely united to Christ, Publicly identify with Christ in baptism. Identify with Christ in our renewal of the Lord's table. And there's no escaping cross-bearing. And then Jesus goes on, just in closing verses 52, 53. Cross-bearing is going to bring divisions. So, I'm a cross-bearer. I live for Jesus. And it brings divisions right now. It brings divisions in homes. Sometimes it brings divisions in churches that, that don't want to bear a cross for Jesus and other people in churches. Well, Christians have to bear, bear a cross. It can bring divisions. But just out, out there in the world, 
sinners by nature love themselves. And how do they how do they deal with Jesus? I mean, and there's there are Christians around the world and believing Christians, there's nominal Christians, but how, do, how does the world react to this message of who's, who's this historic Jesus? And the world will either ignore Jesus or they'll they'll hate Jesus. If you get a little too close to the gospel of grace, say, I'm not that bad. That's not that bad. I think you've heard that, that here before. But this will divide people. And think of think of people in uh, militant religions, other world religions out there, who say, I'm going to follow Jesus and take up the cross. They say, some of those militant religions will say, let's help you on to your, your reward a little faster. We'll come after you with guns and knives. And so some people give price, and there's that division there. But for us here, in our generation, uh, for us, it can mean I do witness to my brother, I try to witness to my parents, and they just smile and nod. That's good for you, but it's not good for you. And so we can pray, and that's what we do. We pray for our unsaved loved ones. And we don't give up. There was a wonderful Scottish Bible teacher named Robert Haldane. He was a Scottish aristocrat of the late 1700s. He had a younger brother who was a salty sea captain in the English Navy. And God got the attention of his younger brother, James. James came home to his brother and said, I found Jesus. And Robert said, you fanatic, if you keep preaching Jesus to me, I'm the older brother, parents are gone. You will not be welcome at the home estate here in Scotland. James kept preaching Jesus to his older brother. Robert Haldane came to the Lord by, they said by 1796, both brothers, the aristocrats that they were, they became ministers in the Church of Scotland. And Robert, the older brother, who didn't want to hear that there had been a division in that household, he became a missionary to Geneva, Switzerland, because they had lost the faith of John Calvin by, by the 1800s, the faith of Calvin in Geneva by that time. This is about 300 years after Calvin. 250 years. And Robert Haldane started teaching the Book of Romans in Geneva to theological students, and anybody would come. And revival breaks out in Geneva. And all others are going into Holland and other places. This is called the Awakening of Europe in the, in the 1820s. So a beautiful thing that, that came. It started out as a division. We can handle division. Jesus said, I came to bring division. We can handle it. As long as we can say, we'll put it in God's hands and leave it with Him. These divisions that we face, and that every generation since Jesus has faced these divisions, anticipate the last, final separation. It will be a division of sheep and goats when Jesus comes back in judgment. And the good news is, is it will be a perfect judge and perfect judgment because Jesus as a man as a perfect man knows fully the temptations and yet as God as an eternal son of God his judgment will be 
perfect and according to truth. But he will judge sinners who in blindness crucify the Lord of glory. In conclusion, uh, here's a picture of grace that Jesus bore your cross. And Jesus still helps us bear our crosses today by his spirit. Jesus reminds us, in the world you're going to have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. John 16, 33. We're going to have troubles. If you bear a cross, you'll have troubles. If you don't bear a cross, you're going to have troubles. You might as well be united to Jesus, take your cross, and let him help you bear your cross today. You'll have troubles. But Jesus has overcome the world. And by faith, we know Jesus is with us. He calls us to overcome and to overcome divisions, to overcome disappointments, rejections, but we know that He carries our burdens and bears our burdens, carries our sorrows. I just close with two verses from 1 John 5, 1 John 5, 4 and 5. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And so Jesus says, fear not, I've overcome the world. He says, I've given you faith. And you live by faith, and I'll stand by you as you identify with Jesus. And um, that's how we overcome and uh, identify with Jesus. We'll close in prayer. Oh Lord, we want to follow you closer and closer. We pray that you'll strengthen us in our lives every day to take up our cross and to die to this world and to live more and more in the righteousness of our perfect Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just will come lead us in a final song.